Welcome to the Good You Can Do podcast, where we share tips and strategies to help you reduce waste, live a healthier life, and protect the planet for future generations. My name is Andrew Duncan, and you can find out more about this project at our website, goodyoucando.com. So for everyone listening in, I have the pleasure today of being joined by Jamie Heather from Carbon Critical. Jamie, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks, Andrew. My pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and taking a bit of time out to, to do this. I'm really excited because uh, what we're going to share with, with everybody listening in today is a way that they can help the climate crisis, um, a, a really easy way to help, uh, which is essentially donating money to, the good, to good causes. So one of the challenges around the climate crisis is that it often feels like something that governments have to fix, you know, like it's up to the powers that be. Uh, and, and people can often feel individually quite powerless to make a difference. Um, and it's easy to feel like, well, you know, even with the things like the EV rebates, is there any point in me changing to a Nissan Leaf? Like what difference can I make? Uh, but with the solution we're going to talk about today, you can potentially make a very, very big difference for very, very small amounts of, of money. Uh, so you know, if you are lucky enough to be in a position to to do, donate money in your life, this is a really cool solution. I'd love to you know be able to share with you, and Jamie's going to talk a bit more about because you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way that we could point our our um, our contributions into the world into a place that was um, powerful, effective solutions to to help climate change? Absolutely, couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie, you're. Best place to start might be, if you would be open to it, to tell us a little bit about your journey. Like, how, how was Carbon Critical born? Where did, where did that come from? Yeah, sure. So Carbon Critical um, was a, a little organization that I started with a good friend of mine, a chap called John Castronova, uh, about a year ago. And it was really bred out of, uh, I guess, pub conversations. Um, I catch up with John uh, every couple of weeks or so, and we'd be drinking at the pub and talking about, you know, what was in the headlines that day or, you know, what, the, what was the topic of the day. And uh, increasingly, we'd find ourselves talking about these rather concerning stories about the environment, um, you know, climate change, uh, loss of biodiversity, um, issues of waste and so on. And uh, we realized that we were spending a lot of time talking about the problems and maybe we could put a bit of our energy and effort into trying to find solutions somehow um, for those problems and, and stop talking about it. And we gave ourselves a one year deadline uh, to try and come up with something practical that we could do to try and make a difference. Um, and uh, we spent a lot of time scratching our heads. Um, as you said, uh, climate change and in general, these environmental issues, they are massive. Uh, they can be a little bit overwhelming, uh, depressing even. Uh, to learn about and it is very hard as an individual uh, to you know to know where to start um, and so we considered all sorts of ideas uh, a lot everything we could think of for ways that we could try and get started into having some kind of positive impact uh, on this problem and uh, in the course of uh, all that discussion and brainstorming um, we came to realize that there are a lot of organizations out there uh, both in New Zealand and overseas uh, that have uh, started tackling this problem They're, they've been thinking about it and looking at it and looking for angles to attack this problem for a long time and uh, some of these effect, uh, organizations are really very effective at what they do and have a lot of evidence to support that, that they're effective um, we also realized at the same time that uh, many of these organizations don't naturally qualify uh, as being tax deductible um, in New Zealand uh, they may be registered charities overseas 
but they don't qualify as a registered charity within New Zealand. Um, and so uh, it, we realized that we couldn't easily donate um, to these organizations or Kiwis can't easily donate to these organizations in a tax efficient way. Um, and so we, uh, we scratched our heads for how to try and solve that problem and uh, ended up creating the, the Net Zero Fund uh, as a kind of convenient way that Kiwis can make a diversified donation uh, to these organizations that have a track record of, of really making a positive impact um, towards solving the, you know, the climate crisis or reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So that's, uh, we, maybe we should unpack I mean, that's awesome, man. And, and that's, that's what a beautiful, <laughs> elegant solution. Um, maybe we should slightly unpack the, the, the tax deductibility side just for people, just in, in case, I'm sure people who are sort of experienced in making donations might understand that. But um, for, for anyone that's sort of new to that space, yeah, could you explain the, the kind of um, how that tax efficiency can make it less attractive Absolutely. to some of, these, some of these options potentially? Yeah, for sure. So most of us earning an income in New Zealand would pay tax on our income. Um, normally, if you uh, work for a company, then that comes out of your pay slip uh, and you get your, your money after tax. Uh, but uh, in New Zealand, um, we recognize, the government recognizes that if you're making a charitable donation, uh, at least to a, a New Zealand charity, that uh, it's not really fair that you got taxed on that income if it's for a greater good, if you're trying to help society or the environment. Uh, and so for donations within New Zealand, uh, the government will effectively give you a, a credit, a rebate uh, on the tax that you've paid. Um, so if you're employed and you're in the pay-as-you-earn uh, tax system, as most of us are, then you can get a, a refund um, back if you make um, charitable donations. And that refund, uh, depending on your tax rate, it, it's up to uh, 33 cents for each dollar um, donated. So it's a reasonably sizable amount. Um, if you donate $100, then you can get $33 back. Uh, and similarly, if you're um, self-employed um, or you own a company, then uh, when you do your tax return, you can uh, register or make a note of the donations that you've made to these organizations and get a little bit of tax back kind of as a thank you from society um, for wanting to do something good for New Zealand and good for society. Uh, and this is very common in other countries as well. Um, you know, in every country I've lived in, uh, the, the, there's been a mechanism for claiming back tax on, on donations. Um, but unfortunately, in New Zealand, uh, we don't recognize donations that are made outside of New Zealand overseas. And this is a real um, issue and a problem, I think, uh, because as we all know, climate change is a, a really global problem. Um, it was previously referred to as uh, global warming very often. Uh, and some of the biggest opportunities to make a real difference are outside of New Zealand in other countries uh, where you, if you want to um, make a real difference um, with your donation, which is very much a, a principle of effective altruism, then uh, you know, there, there's bigger bang, to, bang for buck to be had outside of New Zealand. Um, and so it's uh, as a, a donor and I myself, when, when we set up the fund, I wanted to make a, a donation myself overseas. Um, and I, I always kind of held back a little bit because it, it just seemed like such a lost opportunity um, to make this donation in such an inefficient um, way. Um, because if I get back that $33 for each $100, I can actually give that again um, and, and then get a tax rebate on that um, and give that away again. And in principle, by doing that repeatedly, which I plan to do, uh, I can make my donation go 50% further than would otherwise be the case. 
um, which is kind of confusing, but, um, but that's the way the maths works out. Um, it's such a and so we solution. That's such a beautiful solution. Yeah, well, the, the question was, okay, how do we do that? Um, how can we make that a reality? Um, and we looked at creating a charitable foundation uh, that could maybe go some way towards doing that in New Zealand. Uh, but then we came across the Gift Trust, um, who are a registered charity in New Zealand. And they're really interesting. Um, they pool money from, uh, from multiple sources, multiple donors, uh, pool it together. Um, often they work with trustees, uh, people with a legacy that they want to um, donate to charity over many years. Uh, so that they'll pool donations from various places. Uh, and uh, by doing that, by pooling together, um, we're able to actually make overseas donations uh, without um, infringing any laws, any New Zealand laws, and issue people with a, uh, a tax certificate, a, um, a tax receipt that they can use to claim back the tax that they've made um, on their, or has been paid on their donations. So using that gift trust is what allows you to put the majority of the money the net zero fund receives towards international causes, although you do have some local ones too that we'll get into, um, but, but essentially working through the gift trust allows you to, um, they've, got some, they've got some spare capacity for overseas funds to be, to be sent out. Um, That's it, right. It's so cool because climate change is, a, is an international problem. And for a lot of people that might, it, it can be a bit of a leap to uh, donate money to offshore charities. Uh, you know, we're, we're all, uh, many of us are raised with a kind of, you know, look after your own first and look after, you know, yourself, your family, your community, your country. And, and while that's all super valuable, I'd, I'd encourage people to consider the kind of international potential of your donations too. As you're saying, Jamie, you know, your, your dollars can go so far when you are able to send those to the most effective organizations. And there are some that are in other countries that are just ridiculously effective, um, whether it's talking about global poverty or, or things like climate change. And if people want a bit more on that sort of subject, I really encourage them to check out uh, the Effective Altruism Movement. You could look up Effective Altruism all Z, NZ, which is all about you know doing the most good you can do with your money. A really good book is Doing Good Better by William McCaskill, which I've done a previous uh, podcast episode about how people can get that book for free. But uh, it's essentially a book that changed my life. And it's all about um, this idea that, you know, it, it's, it's worth analyzing where you donate money to get the best, you know, for want of a better term, the best return on your investment to do the most good you can with your, with your hard-earned, hard-earned dollars. Which makes really good sense because that's why you're donating, right? You, you want to achieve some positive outcome in the world in return for giving up your hard-earned cash. Um, and it, it can be hard to do that. Um, but uh, I think if you've done your research and, and that's the whole principle of, of altruism, effective altruism, I think um, fantastic group. I, I love those principles. And for me, it was a real eye opener when I started to learn about that, that, that way of trying to um, you know, really achieve the maximum outcome you can um, for each dollar that you give. Uh, I, I think that's a great principle. I think it's, uh, it's it, it probably, um, would you say that aligns with, you know, if you come from like a sort of software background, like, you know, you're always looking for efficient solutions. You're always looking for like elegant solutions in terms of how you how you design things, how you code things, and and that this effective altruism idea of what you've kind of done with the net zero fund. There seems to be an absolutely kind of analogous relationship there. Yeah, that's right. Well, my background is actually mathematics. I, I have my degree in maths, um, and I spent my uh, the last twenty years of my career as an algorithm developer. 
Uh, and um, almost everything I've ever worked on has been some kind of optimization problem. Um, how do I maximize this one thing at the expense of, you know, um, this thing, not this other thing, not getting too big or you know, minimizing costs or, or whatever the objective was. Uh, so uh, I, I guess it does kind of fit with my um, my kind of problem solving background and, and the way I tend to look at the world. Um, it, it makes sense from a kind of mathematical accounting perspective, I, th I think, to try and inject a little bit of evidence based reasoning, a little bit of science um, into the decision process. <laughs> and is that why, because this nicely leads in, because the next question I was going to ask, going sort of back to your personal uh, conversations with, uh, with, with John, was it, um, you know, around uh, when you're having those conversations, you're talking about the problems in the world. Is there was there any sort of particular catalyst, or, or you know, why was it that you're so passionate about the climate crisis when there are lots of issues going on in the in, in this place we call home? What what um, what resonated about that? Good question, um, and I think that's something that anyone that looks into altruism or giving for good um, has to has to address because there are so many worthy causes um, in the world. Um, for instance, attack, tackling malaria is something that a little bit of money can go a very long way towards saving lives. Uh, so that's another really good cause to support. And so I, I had to kind of wrestle with myself and, you know, is it more important to save people right now from very immediate threats? And unfortunately, there are plenty of those um, in the world uh, that people are suffering from at the moment. Or is the climate, the environment, you know, ultimately a bigger priority? Uh, so I wrestled with that. And for me, Climate is such a, a big threat um, it, for 20, 30 years, um, climate scientists and other scientists uh, working with the environment have been warning us that the things we're doing are gonna have a very detrimental effect uh, on, on the whole world, certainly on the species that live in the world uh, to, today or did live on the world today, we've really lost a lot of them. Um, and what happens in the future, uh, it really is a, a huge threat, um, I believe. And uh, it's even more alarming because there are certain tipping points, um, situations where if we go too far, if we allow the, the planet to heat up too much, uh, then certain things will be set in motion that we might never be able to reverse back again. Um, I, I think it's kind of hard really to imagine or to accept, but humans do have a massive bearing on everything about the planet. Um, and we've, we've massively changed the nature of life on Earth already. Uh, and uh, some of these tipping points are things like, um, you know, if the ice caps melt, for instance, then at the moment they reflect a lot of light back into space. They help cool the planet. If they're not there, that energy goes into the sea instead. Um, as the sea warms up, it becomes less capable of storing carbon. Uh, as our forests dry out, then they are likely to burn. And once they're gone, that carbon's released into the air. Um, the permafrosts around the world, um, once they heat up a bit, they'll release their methane and, uh, and create their own emissions. There are all these tipping points. Um, and in, uh, in science, we call these positive feedback loops. They're, um, they're, they're processes that once they get underway, they become self-sustaining and they get worse and worse and worse. And uh, it's very likely that we won't ever be able to to come back from that if we put those, um, if we exceed those certain tipping points. And uh, no one knows exactly where they are, uh, but the, uh, the UN um, and the many scientists around the world have recommended that we don't want to let the world warm up more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. We're currently at 1.1. Uh, there's no doubt about that. We're very fast, uh, very quickly approaching 
that limit. And once we hit that limit, all bets kind of are off really about what happens next. It's a, a very dangerous situation uh, for humans to find themselves in. Um, so it, and by very dangerous, I mean anything from uh, very frequent storms, uh, extreme weather events, um, famine and so on. The, these we know will happen, this is no doubt. Uh, but in the worst case, it goes all the way up to ex extinction of the species. Um, there have been uh, five global extinction events on Earth um, previously. Um, four of those five events have involved greenhouse gas emissions, or sorry, greenhouse um, warming, global warming. Um, so we're, we're really playing with fire. We're on a trajectory that ends in very bad places. Uh, and this, this effect, whatever happens in the next decade or so, how whether we reach these tipping points or not, will affect uh, hundreds of generations of humans after us if, if we even get that far as a species. Um, it will resonate around the world for tens of thousands of years. Um, and for me, the, the possibility that that could happen, uh, that that's the legacy that we're leaving our kids and their kids, uh, it, it's incredibly sad and worrying. Um, and I, I think it'd be so terrible really for us as a species after everything that we've achieved and all the progress that we've made um, and we have made enormous um, progress as a society uh, the fact that we could jeopardize all of that and, and just lose it all um, through this you know this refusal to acknowledge the scientific fact of climate climate change uh, and the other related issues such as biodiversity loss and ocean pollution and so on um, it's a, a very strong call to act uh, and for me, that was uh, what led to, uh, to forming uh, Carbon Critical, uh, to trying to you know, really actually do something to take action. Um, and also led to me uh, ultimately deciding recently to resign from my day job so I can pursue this uh, full time, as, as I think you've done already, Andrew, with your, <laughs> your own endeavours. You've also um, committed to trying to make a difference to climate change. Yeah, I felt really strongly that it was... It was the critical moment to, to you know, to use the, the phrase from your organization's name, like to use the word, sorry. And I just felt like, you know, in light of what's going on, I needed to put my shoulder to the wagon. I need to be all in on on solving this. I, you know, I didn't want to, um, you know, I wanted to be able to look at my kids in, in 20 years time and tell them, you know, that I, that I worked hard on it and that, um, you know, uh, whatever happens that, that we certainly, um, acknowledged what was going on and we put effort into it and we we tried to come up with ideas and tried to help and 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 it was a focal focus point for us and uh that, that was so beautifully put jamie and so well summed up um it, this, it's so much more than just a little bit of sea level rise <laughs> um, that's know, right it, it's it's some serious 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 game that we're you know that we're um that we're playing around with right now uh and i commend you for taking that leap for taking the, um, you know, jumping into the unknown um, and, and to leave behind that security and say, no, look, this is the most important thing I can be spending my time on. And, uh, and it's so cool to, to, to have you on board, have you on the journey. Yes, likewise. Um, and I, I think also it, you can get very depressed, especially the more you learn. I think for anyone starting that voyage of discovery into all the scientific facts behind uh, climate change and the consequences, it, it can seem overwhelming. Um, I, I certainly went through a phase where I, I, I just found it quite depressing to tell you the truth. Um, but if you can come out the other side of that, you, you can see and realize that there are a lot of people now 
who are worried about this and are, are taking action and uh, taking positive steps, whether that's just at the personal level, making a few um, tweaks to their lifestyle, trying to reduce their personal you know, emissions footprints, um, or by donating um, or giving their time to charities. There is a, a big movement of people that do understand the problem and they do understand what's at stake. And they're really coming together to try and effect change. Um, and I, I kind of think that if we can come out of this, if we can do this as a civilization and turn this around, then humans will just be a better bunch of people at the end of it. Um, we'll be less self-centered, we'll be more aware of our dependence on the environment, on the world around us and what we need to do uh, to protect it. And I, I think it will be, or already is really a, a unifying experience um, to when you join the, the people that are trying to tackle the problem. Um, you know, we all have this common goal. We, we, we feel similarly, there's a very wide range of backgrounds, but it's quite a unifying goal, I think, to say, you know, we need to stop this worst case scenario from playing out. So beautifully put. Yeah, it's, uh, it's easy to sort of sit on this roller coaster of, you know, of, uh, of despair and optimism and go between the two. Uh, and it's been really helpful for me to, to chat to and speak to people like yourself to kind of come out of that, that, um, that place of just, um, yeah, absolute despair really. And, and, and just say like, right, okay, there's, there's no time for that. <laughs> this is, this is too important. Uh, and I think it, uh, I guess what I'd like to say to anyone listening in is that, you know, I, I've been studying the climate crisis since I um, stopped, since I quit, you know, shut down my business around 18 months ago. And something that I'm still ridiculously passionate about is the fact that I really think individuals can make a difference, um, not only by reducing your own carbon footprint, but, but really by inspiring other people to take action as well. And, you know, the, the change as a society is just, you know, lots of individual change you know if we if we all take steps to improve and and to and to care about this issue then change as a society is inevitable and and so i commend you for giving people an option to to uh, engage with with some cool solutions um but i think uh, you know for anyone who sort of sits there and thinks oh, what can what difference can one person make i just say you know please get involved at whatever place on the spectrum you can whatever kind of solution you can look to implement whether that's just voting with your wallet and buying different products or whether it's donating money or whether it's changing the way you eat changing your diet um and, and right up to the point of you know leaving your day job to to go all in on 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 this on this challenge you know everything everything is valuable every decision you make matters uh and that's right absolutely be part of the solution yeah absolutely there i think it, there are a lot of things that we can do as individuals, um, it, it really does need the support of government and um, governments react to what voters want. Uh, and I think one of the most powerful things, as you said, is, is just to, to t start doing things, start taking action and really talk to people um, about what you're doing, um, talk about the problems. Um, you know, I think climate change has a little bit of a stigma attached to it. It's a bit like politics and religion. It's something that um, for reasons that I, I don't fully understand is very divisive. People have very polarized views sometimes um, uh, re regarding climate and whether or not it's real and what we should be doing about it. Um, but I, I think just, uh, just talking about it, having that conversation, um, sharing things that you've heard um, with, with other people that perhaps are not at the same point in the journey as you, uh, I think that's really powerful. 
And uh, to some extent, you can kind of see how this will play out by looking at other countries uh, like the UK, for instance. Uh, they're actually relatively progressive um, in the UK and Europe um, with their, their climate policies and their commitments. Uh, and uh, we've recently seen in the UK that the Conservative government, uh, they, Boris Johnson has recently put forward his 10 point um, climate action plan. Um, and I think two or three decades ago, reading that, you know, that plan, that manifesto, it, it would have seemed like a fantasy from the Green Party. Uh, but we now have, you know, in the, in the UK, the Conservative Party, which is kind of like national in New Zealand, um, they've actually committed to doing this um, and, and making a real difference, a real commitment. So I think what will happen is here, as has happened in the UK, is once we get that critical mass of voters, um, if we don't have it already, maybe we do, uh, once enough people are putting climate change on the agenda, then we'll see the more conservative parties, the national party, move more towards taking action. They'll, they'll realize that there, there is no way that we, you know, we, we cannot take action. Um, and I think everyone in New Zealand, we, we all have the power to vote. Um, it is an incredibly um, powerful um, option. Um, it's uh, something that tends to get underutilized by younger voters. Um, you, you know, there's much less engagement uh, by younger voters, but those are precisely the people that have the most to lose uh, from climate change. Um, so if nothing else, the, the next time there's a, uh, an election, um, it, I very much encourage people to do a little bit of research about where the different parties stand on these issues and uh, try and make a vote um, that counts um, towards steering government policy to take action. Particularly in your local body elections too, of course, you know, and, and national and local councillors, um, you know, regional councils and things too. I think that's a, a really important point. Um, and I love the adage too that that it's critical that governments are on board, um, you know, but but you also only, you know, vote once every three years, but you, but you eat three times a day, you know, and every day you've got... Um, opportunities to to make good decisions in that regard as well uh jamie right. I'd, I'd love to get into talking a bit more about the the net zero fund but before we jump into a bit more detail about how it works i'd love to know are there any ideas you can recall from these you know friday five o'clock happy hour pub chats that like what was left on the cutting room floor were there any ideas that you can think <laughs> of that you were like this this is going to be it, oh. and it and it and it uh and it flamed out there's tons of ideas, yeah, um, and a lot of those we're, you know, we're trying to develop now, um, especially now that I'm committing to this full time. Sure. Uh, you know, ways that to try and make a difference. Um, probably one that I got way too prematurely excited about, which I think I mentioned to you before, was um, the idea of just let's buy an electric bus, let's um, provide a, uh, a free bus service around Auckland. I, I talked to John a lot about this, and uh, you know, I was very keen to go out and buy a bus and find a bus driver, and we would provide a uh, a free electric clean bus service somewhere in Auckland. Um, and it, it all sounded very exciting and very plausible. Um, but then when I actually sat down and ran the numbers for that idea in terms of, well, how much carbon could we avoid um, sending to the atmosphere, you know, under certain assumptions that this service would be adopted and used and, you know, uh, maximized. Um, and unfortunately the numbers came back a, a little bit depressing, not what I'd hoped. Um, and it was around about that time that this whole idea of, well, how do we do this efficiently? Um, you know, maybe investing in an electric bus and paying a driver to run free, clean uh, bus services. That actually, in terms of tons of carbon, that's not as high as I'd hoped. Um, and that's when we started to, to discover these other 
um, organizations that, that could make a real impact and make each dollar go a lot further in, in terms of um, cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so that the, the electric bus idea has been shelved for now. Um, but uh, we're, we're looking at lots of the, other. Love to see the electric party bus. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I, I, I kind of like the idea of being the bus driver, so it could come back at some point. But, <laughs> but in the meantime, um, John and I are, are working on a, a whole number of other initiatives, trying to figure out which ones are viable. Uh, we're looking at um, tree planting, uh, ways of better handling waste, um, ways of working towards circular economies uh, and so on. Uh, there's a really great um, documentary actually that I meant to mention uh, right now. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's uh, Breaking Boundaries. Yes. And uh, I think, oh, you've watched that as well, I think you said. Yes, I have. Yeah. So please, yeah, yeah. But, but keep, you know, keep going. Yeah. Um, so it's a, uh, a really great um, documentary, I think, because it, it lays out that not just climate change, but there are actually nine um, different areas that have been identified as uh, potentially critical that uh, as a society uh, we need to watch out for. Uh, the four really big ones uh, from memory are uh, climate change. Uh, related to that is um, ocean acidification. Uh, that's where carbon dioxide in the air ends up absorbing into the ocean uh, and turning into carbonic acid, which then adjusts the acidity of the ocean, uh, potentially with very dangerous outcomes. Uh, biodiversity loss uh, is considered to be a very real threat to humanity now. Um, we've lost so many species on Earth, uh, and we actually have a, a, a dependency on a lot of these species, um, such as bees for pollinating crops, for instance. We're, we're much more dependent on the natural world than most people realize. Uh, and the, the last very critical issue is uh, phosphor and um, uh, nitrogen uh, fertilizers basically running off the land and into the oceans and just killing everything in the ocean. Uh, those are the four areas that in that documentary were identified as being at their tipping point already. We're, we're already in the red zones. Um, for those areas. And um, if we don't start reversing those problems you know, immediately, then uh, there, there could be very bad outcomes. Uh, and it, it is kind of a, a sobering documentary to watch. Um, I, I showed it to my wife and she was thoroughly depressed by it. But if you, uh, it's 75 minutes long. And if you can progress through the first hour, then in the, the last 10, 15 minutes or so, uh, they start talking about solutions, um, things that we can do to bring ourselves back from the point of disaster um, for the, these different um, danger zones. Uh, and uh, they're surprisingly simple, really. Uh, one of them is just to try and reduce our, uh, our carbon emissions or our greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we all need to halve our emissions every decade. Uh, that, that's what we have to do to stay within the, the critical zone. Um, we need to eat less meat. Uh, that's a relatively straightforward one, but uh, the, the emissions associated with growing livestock, um, farming livestock, and that associated problem of runoff of fertilizer into waterways is a huge problem that, that affects us all. Uh, we need to uh, start reusing um, prod products, not generating so much waste. Uh, that's number three. Uh, number four, which one am I missing? Oh, sorry, the big one was planting trees. Planting trees, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, that was number four, um, or probably number two in the original list. Trees are just so good at sucking carbon dioxide out of the air. Uh, they, 
they create a product that's great for building with that um, unlike steel and concrete when you make a ton of steel or concrete you end up with about two tons of carbon dioxide as a byproduct uh, so those materials are very bad um, and actually account for a very large portion of the uh, the carbon footprint um, that humans create uh, Bill Gates uh, released a book recently um, how to avoid a climate disaster and he does some really excellent analysis in there about the the causes of greenhouse gas emissions um, across the you know globally across society and uh, he identifies just making things um, buildings uh, concrete roads uh, the electronic goods that we all use um, we don't really think of these as being responsible for emissions but they're actually you know um, really big generators of emissions um, and so using a, a renewable material like timber uh, is is so good as an alternative to using concrete or, uh, or steel in buildings, for instance. Um, so trees are very much a, a part of the solution as well, planting more and growing more trees. Just this, I love that um, it, so many of the solutions or sort of uh, ways to, to help the, uh, the climate crisis revolve around this kind of minimalization, um, living a minimalist life, you know, finding ways of using less energy and reducing our consumption. Uh, it's funny how many people I talk to where that's the kind of residing message. Um, I spoke to Mike Joy recently, who's a freshwater ecologist, you know, essentially a climate scientist, uh, very, very well-known one in New Zealand. And, and his, his main message is around, we just need to find ways of consuming less energy. Uh, and that's, yeah, it's not just the car you drive. It's, you know, every time you buy a new appliance, <laughs> uh, every time you, um, by anything that's brand new the bigger it is the more energy it's probably taken to to build it especially if it's made out of steel and these sort of materials so um just that's trying to right. find ways to reuse to buy secondhand to to use as little as possible whether that's a smaller house uh, fewer cars just fewer things in general uh, everything's going to help absolutely I, I think that's the uh, the message from the climate commission as well that recently um provide advice, advice to the government on how they can achieve their, uh, their climate goals for 2050. And uh, the resounding message there is reduction, um, is reduce, reuse and recycle um, in that order. And, uh, and just consuming less of everything um, is uh, the number one, uh, number one goal. Uh, but I think also a lot of um, corporate um, organizations, a lot of companies are, are realizing that, you know, that they can make their products cleaner uh, there are alternative ways, alternative plastics, alternative materials, ways to produce uh, goods that do generate less waste. Um, so if nothing else, I think just trying to look for those companies that are, are trying to clean up their act, clean up their products and, um, and you know, take some responsibility, uh, then uh, that, that's a good start if, if you are shopping. Yeah, absolutely. If you're, yeah, if you're at the start of this journey, voting with your wallet is a really good way to... To, to start your journey start your impact journey absolutely yeah and when you when you do have uh some funds available please go and check out carboncritical.org now uh let's talk a little bit about how this fund works so let's say i go to carboncritical.org i've looked at your site and i'm like right i want to help uh you know say i donate a hundred dollars what would you do with that hundred dollars yeah, so when you make your donation um, through the Gift Trust portal, which is linked to from our site, uh, you can choose um, whether you want to make a diversified uh, gift uh, to the uh, 10 uh, organizations that we currently support, 
uh, or whether you'd like to uh, target one of them specifically. So uh, on our website, on the Carbon Critical website, uh, we give a little bit of blurb, a little bit of info about the, the different organizations um, that we support and how much we've donated to them uh, so far. Uh, the organizations are quite different. Um, some of them are very much focused on preserving rainforest uh, reserves in other countries. Um, rainforest is about the most dense store of carbon uh, that exists right now. Um, so preserving that is very good. Um, others are about steering government policy, think tanks that try to advise uh, governments on, on how to make good policy. Uh, and we also had the local New Zealand um, groups. We have some very effective groups here in New Zealand that are trying to tackle the problem as well. Um, so if there's one that particularly resonates with you from that list, uh, then you can certainly um, choose to support that specifically. Uh, and uh, probably about half of our donors uh, do take that option. Uh, that there's one particular organization that really resonates with them and they, they choose to support that. Um, you make your donation. Uh, we, um, we basically normally we wait until we pulled a little bit of money uh, together um, for efficiency reasons. Um, it's more efficient to make a larger lump sum payment uh, to these organizations. Um, so probably about once a quarter, we, we issue grants, uh, depending on how much we've collected and, uh, and what organizations people have chosen to support. Uh, then we'll allocate the, uh, the, the funds accordingly and, uh, and update the amounts on our website, which show um, how much we've donated. Uh, I, we recently went past the $100,000 mark, which was really exciting and uh, hopefully has already made a huge impact um, around the world. Especially because there is some uh, a, a decent amount of evidence showing that you know the most effective of these charities can avert uh, a ton of emissions for as little as one US dollar, which is incredible. Like, and just to put that in perspective for people, you know, the average sort of um, person's individual sort of carbon footprint is around seven tons a year. It does vary between countries and things. Uh, so, you, what that means is if you can avert a ton of carbon emissions by supporting one of these charities for one US dollar, um, then your seven tons can be inverted for about seven US dollars, which is about 10 New Zealand dollars. So you can essentially kind of, you know, um, uh, offsets, not really the right word, but you can essentially offset your own personal emissions for as little as $10. Um, That's that, right. Uh, that, which I think it's really important that people, you know, um, understand how valuable their contribution to this space can be you know i think a lot of a lot of people how they engage with charity is someone comes and knocks on your door you know they're wearing a bright colorful vest they get you in the middle of dinner time you know sign you up to some 30 dollars a month plan and you don't even know where the money's going to necessarily or how that's going to be used or how much of it actually goes to the people that you're trying to support um but this these options you can get real tangible results and you can really make a difference for even if it's even if it's ten dollars whatever you can can afford to contribute uh, and and not only that, 100% of the money you actually donate to Net Zero Fund actually goes through to the charities. You guys have taken the very cool initiative of covering all the admin costs yourself, so uh, so people can can donate money knowing that 100% of it actually goes to whichever either individual one they select or or it's diversified across the group. Yeah, that's right. We uh, we cover the the cost for administering the fund uh, with the gift trust and the cost of um, bank transactions and credit card fees and so on. Uh, we we wanted to remove any possible barrier, psychological barrier for people that are donating and, and provide that confidence that all of their money, whatever they choose to donate, um, will go to the organisation or organisations uh, that they wanted to. 
And uh, yeah, it was a real eye opener actually um, in terms of that one US dollar to avert a ton of emissions. Um, that, that just blows my mind still that that's possible. Uh, the, we, the inspiration for creating the Net Zero Fund was a Vox article, uh, which we linked to from the Carbon Critical website. Uh, and that article uh, is a little bit old now, it's probably a year or so old, but it, it talks about uh, if you want to donate to climate, what are the most effective organizations um, that you can support? Uh, and I came across that, um, that article uh, a year or so ago. Uh, and uh, I thought, great, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And there's a, um, all the supporting evidence is there. Um, a lot of the supporting evidence came from a UK uh, group called uh, Founders Pledge. Uh, and they, they presented in a lot of detail, um, you know, the, why they think these certain organizations are, are very effective and have a lot of impact. Uh, and uh, discovering that it was possible to make such a big difference for so little money, um, as you said, you know, $10 a year per person, uh, it's, it's a tiny amount really, um, given what's at stake. Uh, but these, uh, these organizations are out, out there, they're, they're very effective at what they do. And uh, for a relatively, for the price of two cups of coffee, really, um, you can avert um, your, your year's worth of, uh, of greenhouse gas emissions. It kind of blows my mind too, because I naturally, my brain goes to, well, you know, if New Zealand's emissions as a country are 80 million tons a year, then, you know, $80 million <laughs> to, to, you know, to these charities would make a massive difference. And that is a lot of money individually, but to a, to a government like New Zealand's, that, that's really nothing. So, you know, it does make me think, gosh, I wish they would uh, put a little bit of the money in the budget aside yeah. for, uh, for such noble causes. And, and people listening might wonder why they don't. I mean, I'd be interested in your take on this. I imagine it's in a large part, Absolutely. a lot of people just, just wouldn't even know these solutions are there or exist or, you know. That's definitely part of the problem. And I think if governments do start thinking in a coordinated way about how do we collectively address this problem, uh, then that will be a big part of the solution and we can make a lot more progress with that. Um, also, though, I think the reason that these organisations we support are so effective is because they're currently massively underfunded. Uh, they, they operate on shoestring budgets and um, really we're just going after the low hanging fruit or that's what these organizations are doing. Um, so for instance, I mentioned protecting the rainforest. Um, it doesn't cost that much to police rainforest and to make sure that there aren't illegal operations, logging operations or farmland um, you know, land clearing happening. Um, you can you can monitor a large area of uh, rainforest using modern uh, technology, drones and satellites and so on for really not that much money. And that's the kind of thing that these organizations we support are doing. Um, they're assisting uh, local governments, um, national governments to make sure that illegal operations don't happen um, in these areas where there are rainforest. And it, yeah, as I say, it doesn't cost much money to do that. There will come a point where if these uh, organizations and these uh, types of problems get properly funded, then the low hanging fruit will be, uh, you know, will, I guess, disappear. Uh, we'll have um, dealt with that. And then it will become harder and more expensive uh, to, to find ways of, uh, of, you know, addressing climate change. So I, I guess that that's what's happening at the moment. It's just there really are very few people giving to these amazing causes. It really doesn't cost much to stop vast areas of the Amazon from being burned down. And uh, for the people that are willing to, um, you know, to, to step in early and step up and try and tackle that, you, your money can make a huge difference. 
it makes me think of that kind of personal adage that, you know, from a, you know, let's say a personal finance point of view, if you're trying to, to make your decisions, you know, you pay off the highest interest debt first, <laughs> you know, you, exactly. you take the low hanging fruit first, you pay off the credit card before you pay off the mortgage and, and, and in a climate sense, that's, that's what this feels like, you know, let's, let's absolutely boxes first. And then uh, once that's taken care of and all the rainforests are protected and governments are making good decisions and all the, you know, we've got heaps more native forests planted throughout New Zealand, then we can tackle more difficult problems but there's so much good stuff that can be done for relatively cheap amounts of money right now. So uh, it makes sense yeah. to point your energy in the most efficient direction. That's right. And uh, of course, we, we can't just um, solve problems by throwing money at it. But um, yeah, we need to make real lifestyle changes uh, as well. We, we do need to reduce and reuse a lot more than we do at present. But it is surprising how far a little money um, in addition to that can go. And uh, I definitely encourage anyone that, you know, if you are looking for a way uh, to make a real difference in the world and to try and be part of the solution and not just part of the problem of climate change, then um, if you can afford even just a few dollars, then, uh, you know, it's a fantastic and, and very accessible way to make a difference, I believe. Yeah, and I think it's good to, to go from all actions, as you say, like the, the individual actions really matter too, you know, and a good example there is, you know, I'd, I'd love the government to put a tax on single-use plastic, you know, to, to charge each producer that puts their product, loaf of bread and a single-use piece of plastic, they should pay whatever it is, five cents for, for doing that. Um, so there's, you're building in the kind of extrinsic cost of, of dealing with that waste to the producer. But until that happens, you can vote with your wallet. You can, you can decide not to buy as many of those products as possible. And that sends a message to to the suppliers, to the producers. And if enough of us do that, it really will make a difference and people will need to change. Um, not only that, if you support the products that are caring about the environment, you know, if you can try and seem small, but buying the yogurt that comes in a glass jar rather than the one that comes in a, you know, a, a crappy little plastic bottle with the film lid, everything yeah. speaks. And you, one of the cool things about the climate crisis is you have these opportunities to, to take action on it all the time. You know, you can't do much about mass shootings in America, but you can, you can uh, yeah. take steps uh, that help have an impact on, on climate change all day, every day, you know, in the, in the milk you put in your coffee and the, the meals you order at a restaurant and how you go Absolutely. to work each day, whether you can negotiate a work from home agreement one day a week, all these things, um, you know, can, can make a, a difference. And, and climate change, the other key point I like to get across to people is it's not a you know it's not a binary thing it's not like climate change has either happened or it's not like it can always get worse on that scale yeah. of how bad we let the, the world heat up it can always get worse so and i think that's, that's right people, to me that gives me hope that individual actions like donating and like choosing what to buy really do matter because however hot it gets it could always get hotter that's right very true um and i, I completely agree I, th I think by living it um, by by taking you know, changing how you do things, people notice. Um, they they you know they might ask why you're doing it. You know why are you using that type of pot instead of the you know the regular plastic yogurt pot, um, for instance. Um, I last time I went to the UK a few years ago, uh, I uh, sat down with my family at a restaurant and I ordered a, a veggie burger and um, I kind of got grilled by my by my brother as like no, you don't like veggie burgers. You're a meat eater. You're a you're a beef burger eater and uh I, I kind of said well you know actually I'm, I'm trying to eat less beef these days and and so he said well you know why is that why are you doing that and it led into a conversation uh you know about 
the meat industry and the effect that it has on the environment and so on and you know the kind of changes that I'm trying to make and uh, I think when people see you doing this or and especially when they see a lot of people doing this it, it leads to these kind of conversations and a spreading of awareness and knowledge uh, about the impact of some of the things that we do. So, so valuable and, and good on you for, for stepping into the fray there and, and being able to, you know, because a lot of people, it's, it's not easy to, to um, especially when you're, when you're with your family and if you haven't seen them for a while to kind of, you know, as soon as you order that veggie burger, you're starting a whole conversation <laughs> and, and that could That's be right. very deeply analyzed. Um, so, so good on you for stepping into the fray and, and encourage everyone else to, to jump on board when they can too. And, and, and again, it's not a binary thing. You don't have to go if you're not quite ready to remove meat from your diet, you can just decide that you will only eat meat when you go out to dinner, or you can decide to have a few meat-free days a week. Every bit helps. It's not a, it's not an all or nothing decision all the time. You just try and just try and make good choices when you can. That's right. I, I was going to mention the same thing. I, I, and I think that is completely different. Um, there's been times in the past where uh, I've kind of made a farcical effort to become, become vegetarian and it's very quickly failed. Um, but I, I find there's such a big difference between eating a lot less of something and never eating it ever again. Um, I don't know if it's just a conceptual difference, but we've, uh, my wife and I have been a lot more successful as uh, flexitarians than, than we were as vegetarians. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I think um, Jonathan Seffron Froh put it in um, one of his books that, you know, the easiest way to um, exude yourself from having to make difficult decisions is to pretend that there are only two options. You know, if you say, I either eat the way I do or I'm vegan, you know, that's, that's quite a leap to take, you know, I don't, I don't go run marathons tomorrow, <laughs> you know, just because, yeah. but like, if you can't run a marathon, it doesn't mean your five kilometer run around the block isn't good for your health. It's, it's absolutely good. And if you a flexitarian and eat, eat meat free meals three times a week, you're still doing a heck of a lot of good um, for the planet. Uh, so, so yeah, I think that's, that's such an important message for people to understand. It's not about being perfect. That's right. It fits as well, I think, with that message from the documentary that Dave Attenborough, where he's saying we need to halve our emissions every, yes. you know, every decade. So it it doesn't have to be an suddenly all to nothing step change. Um, you know, we we can find ways to gradually do it, and I think yeah, flexitarianism is a great way to start. Jamie, before before I let you go, I'd love to know where you sort of. Um uh it, it might be things you're, you're, you know that are sort of top secret at this stage but uh where you where you hope to take this and and this this fund and, and what your next steps will be now that you're um that you're going to be uh focusing on this full time yeah good question and I, i'm uh, trying to answer that as quickly as possible because i'm down to my last two weeks now <laughs> in the current job yeah there, there isn't really anything um secret um we've it's quite different actually. Again, this is the difference I think between working sustainability and working commercially um, in, in a commercial setting, which I'm very familiar with. You know, the, you generally are very secretive about everything. You always sign a non-disclosure agreement before talking to anybody about anything. And uh, it, it's very different. I think when you're thinking about sustainability, if, I, if you let slip of an idea that someone else then goes away and runs with, well, you know, is that such a bad thing if, if they actually achieve a meaningful difference in the world? Um, I find that conversations with people about initiatives um, to address uh, sustainability tend to be, uh, you know, a lot more open um, because there is that common goal, I think, not, not just a goal to make money or to protect what's mine, um, which is really refreshing. I, I, I love working in, the, uh, in, in this field. Um, I'm very new to it, but I'm really enjoying working in sustainability. Uh, in terms of the, uh, the specific initiatives, 
Um, I, I think I won't say anything at this point, not so much because they're secret, but, but because they might turn out to be like the electric bus. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself by having a big change of direction. <laughs> but um, but they're around, you know, we're, we're looking at, um, you can kind of be systematic about it, actually, um, ways of making a difference. There's a, uh, a book called Drawdown, Project Drawdown, uh, that identifies a um, hundred different possible solutions or, or ways that we can start to tackle and address uh, climate change. Um, they're ranked by order. Um, so you can kind of go through that and you can say, okay, these are all the big problems and all the big opportunities that are out there. And you can almost kind of pick one and say, okay, food waste, you know, that's number three in, in drawdown. Um, you know, how can I reduce food waste potentially? And there, you know, there, there's various possible approaches to that. Um, maybe encouraging, you know, a people to compost um, more often and, and to compost effectively. Uh, maybe could create an industrial composting scheme. Maybe, uh, you know, pick up um, food scraps from, a, from houses or, uh, or commercial restaurants and so on. Maybe there's, there's some kind of new gadget that could be made. Maybe there's an app. Um, I, I think as a, when you start to look at the bigger areas of opportunity and then start to delve into what could work in each of those areas, uh, then, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of, um, of possible approaches. Uh, John and I are working through those and trying to find the ones that are viable and that have the, the most potential uh, to make an impact. And uh, overall, that this whole area, this is really the new economy, I think. Um, the way that humans have done things up to now, uh, it's been very much driven on the premise of digging oil or coal, fossil fuels out of the ground and burning them. Um, or use them to make products. And that's how our uh, developed societies in the developed world um, have come to be what they are today. Uh, but we know we have to leave that behind and that will have an, an epic effect on the way that we do things uh, in our personal lives and also in business, uh, in industry, um, in New Zealand and overseas. So what we're going to see happen in the next decade or so um, is a transition from the old economy that was driven around fossil fuels to the new economy that will be driven around doing things sustainably. And it's, a, uh, it's just a world of opportunity, really, from, from a business perspective. Uh, there, are, there are so many different ways to, to get involved there and to, to be part of that, um, that movement. And uh, I think for the, the people that embrace that, that are forward thinking and looking at solutions, um, it's going to be lucrative. I, I think sustainability does not have to come at the, ex, you know, just as an expense. There are profits to be made there. And in the old industries, those are doomed um, to a, a, hopefully a fairly rapid death. And uh, I'm just excited to be part of the new economy. And I hope more and more people will start thinking about it uh, in those terms that there's an old economy that has to die. And there's this exciting new thing that is on the horizon. And uh, as soon as I figure out exactly, uh, John and I, as soon as we work out what those new ventures will be, what the next ventures will be for uh, carbon critical, then uh, yeah, we'll let you know. <laughs> Absolutely. The, and that's where you can move from that despair space to that kind of fun, creative space where you're, especially if you can find people to engage in conversations uh, about this with, where you can spitball ideas and you can talk about solutions and you can, that, that's where it can start to be, you know, a, a positive um, experience and you can have, you know, have some enjoyment from it. Uh, the, I, I makes me think of, you know, a couple of months ago, I went to a, what's called a climathon in wellington which is kind of like a startup weekend if anyone's done one of those for climate ideas and the whole feeling that pervaded the whole uh setup was just incredible it was just all these kind-hearted 
loving people that just wanted to work on solutions and they're all super positive and engaging and there was absolutely no kind of you know fear of someone stealing ideas or or wanting to win it wasn't about that it was just about i just want to be part of the solution and there's a uh, I, I see that in everyone who's um engaging in this space it's a beautiful place to be so if you are thinking of you know career changes or feeling like you know you want to um put more energy into the space i can tell you there's some, some very beautiful people working here working in this in this world uh, i was going to touch on the you know the ideas thing and composting you know like it's it's one of my dreams that local compost collection becomes the sort of paper run of the future you know <laughs> a lot of, That's imagine right. a bunch of teenagers making some making some pocket money running around on e-bikes picking up picking up their streets compost and and you know so there's so many fun solutions to be to be worked on and, and worked out uh, and I so agree with what you're saying. It, it doesn't all have to be about sacrificing things. You know, there's there's lots of cool solutions that can provide people with with a living and and can do good as well. And we just need uh, as many people on the bus as possible. That's right. And uh, I think in terms of younger generations, they're already on board with this. They understand what's at stake. They know what needs to be done. And uh, I, I've no doubt that they they will be they'll commit to that and they'll make it happen. But I think in the meantime, uh, those people that are leading governments or running businesses or purchasing, um, we, you know, it's up to us in the meantime for the next 10 years, 20 years or so to make sure that we don't wreck everything before that generation gets to take over. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Jamie, you, you've presented, you know, your, um, your organization and your feelings and your sort of passion about these issues so beautifully. And I, I really commend you for doing that and for taking the time out today to to share to share your thoughts on it with our with our listeners and i'd encourage everyone to go and check out carboncritical.org it's been an absolute pleasure and uh and i feel inspired to do as much as i can and i'm sure a few people you know listening to this uh, do as well so please keep up the amazing work thank you for all you're doing and great uh, thanks so much andrew wish you every success with uh with all your fun uh, electric bus ventures in the future <laughs> <laughs> well, if you see that come to fruition, then either I made a mistake in my original calculations or I've become desperate. But uh, but thank you so much. It's been really awesome um, chatting to you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, seeing how we all address the challenge and, and what you know, what the future holds. Hopefully it's a, a more positive future. We can create that positive future for us ourselves. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you get along to the Carbon Critical website and make a donation if you can. That's carboncritical.org. And uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast or give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. That would be a huge help. You can also check out past episodes of ours with detailed breakdowns and extra resources at goodyoucando.com.